Welcome to Black Exposed for Tuesday, April 11th. I hope everyone had an incredible Easter. Indeed, he has risen. Amen. Tonight, hip-hop pioneer Will Strickland stops by. He's going to co-host with me tonight. Will Strickland helped P. Diddy start Bad Boy Records. He signed the Wu-Tang Clan and worked on Notorious B.I.G.'s first album. He's worked with Michael Jackson, Prince, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, KRS-One, Mary J. Blige, and that's just to name a few. You want to make sure you're tuned in to this episode and next week's episode with Will Strickland. Black Exposed has the exclusive on what went down at Bad Boy Records, including Tupac and Biggie's death, and behind-the-scenes interactions with Mary J. Blige, Kanye West, Jay-Z, and more. So stop what you're doing. Seriously, stop what you're doing, because you're not going to hear this anywhere else. You can hear us at 98.5 CKWR. Tell your friends they can stream live at CKWR.com. And now, after the broadcast, you can hear Black Exposed 98.5 CKWR.com on Podbeat.com. Last week, I attended several events like the Mel Brown Music Festival fundraiser and kickoff with an awesome performance by our friend Juno winner Carlos Morgan. And I also attended the Passion for Fashion fundraiser and the Rise Up YW Breakfast. I'll have highlights throughout the show. But first, gather all your friends tonight. If you love hip-hop music, if you love the industry, if you want to hear stories about what went down at Bad Boy, do not change the channel for the next hour. I promise you, it will be worth it. I'm Sandra Tyler on 98.5 CKWR, and Black Exposed starts now. It's our pleasure to join you at the London City of Music Conference to talk about how the Mel Brown Music Festival and Symposium will continue annually now in community partnership. Carlos. I am the uh, festival visionary, festival producer, and curator for the Meltdown Music Festival. Last weekend of May, May 26, 27, and 28, we'll be featuring and highlighting all black singers and all genres of black music, which includes R&B, soul, jazz, reggae, hip-hop, blues, gospel, ska. The purpose, the goal of the festival is, is to address three issues anti-black racism, hiring institutions, as well as the Canadian music industry on a whole, to give voices and places in Kitchener-Waterloo for black voices, black faces, black music to be heard. I've not seen a lot of black music, if any at all, that's been highlighted and given the space and the voice to be seen and heard in the Waterloo region. This festival is about collaboration, I'm grateful that I have uh, the opportunity to work with Nathan as well as Lee Willingham and Sandra Tyler and a number of others that came together. We all saw that the void of the issue that is going on in the Waterloo region pertaining to black music. And Mel Brown was a staple and a foundation of opening doors for black artists. In essence, they are Juno winning group. Uh, we're going to have a ska band yeah. called the Arsenals. We're going to have a gospel artist named Ruiz Vassell Bowen, uh, Dr. Swanson. Yeah. We're going to have a Juno five time Juno recording artist, Amoy Evans. And we're also going to have John Corbett. 
Will Strickland. I am the creator of the world's first university accredited course on hip hop culture at the University of Massachusetts Amherst called Edutainment. And so we went and we started this little label you might have heard of called Bad Boy Records. Got to get it done. Big says some disparaging words about E40. On your whistle, sir. Let's rock. Don Puffy Combs mm. paid for your trainer. Help him sign a little group called the Wu Tang. I see champion on champion. It's that time. Tupac thought somebody tried to kill him. Girl, teammates. Bad boy death broke. He got shot what four times? Diddy and Big. It's like that. Yeah, it's like that. Will Strickland, Jason State, and True True. That's me. Hip hop music pioneer Will Strickland joins us tonight. He helped start Bad Boy Records with P. Diddy. He signed the Wu Tang Clan. He put out Notorious B.I.G.'s album. He's worked with Prince, Drake, Mary J. Blige, Michael Jackson, Tupac, KRS-One, Dr. Dre, and that's just to name a few. He created and taught the world's first university course on hip-hop culture. He was the president of Urban Music Association of Canada, and he's also the director of operations in North America for Full Court 21 All World. Please welcome my friend, the legendary Will Strickland. You started your career at the age of 15. Getting paid? Yes. Procuring things? I had a career far before that. When I say procuring, for those who don't understand, they were acquired son's legal tender. So that career started way before that. It wasn't like, let's go and break in somebody's house or rob them. I was like the dude that I saw a friend of mine get hit by a car and figure out how to make money from that. I kid you not. Where we lived, there was like a big tree that stuck out into the street. So you had to slow down before you turn around the street. And so after seeing Eddie get hit by the car, I'm like, I got an idea. So I put my little brother in the tree and he was a spotter. So it looked like I was throwing a football. My other brother was behind the tree where you couldn't see. So when the car slowed down enough, my brother would jump on the hood of the car, fall over like he got hit by the car. Football would fly up in the air. And the first time we did it, there's a guy in an El Dorado. I remember it. Red or burgundy with a white, that white leather top thing on it. And I go into my whole routine. Oh, sir. Oh, my God. Look at my brother. I, my parents live right here. Can you come talk to them and, and tell them what happened? I'm like, no, kid. What? No, no, no. My parents are right here. We didn't live right there. We didn't, we lived down the block. Didn't matter. Goes, I don't care what happens. Put him in a bus, a cab, whatever. Take him to the hospital, make sure he's okay. And they pulled out $543 the first time we did it and handed it to me. I gave it to my brother. I said, one for you, one for you, two for me. I thought of the idea. One for you, one for you, two for me. And we did that all that summer until my mother caught us. Well, how much did you make? Oh, thousands. It was a good summer. We were kids. So again, when I take pr- procuring, I always utilize the noodle in ways that would keep me out of jail. The DJing thing started professionally. I was in school, first moved down to Texas. Because my father, blessed dead, was in the military. And there was a guy who was the starting from scratch or the funk master flex. Like he was the DJ of DJs in this little town. And every party, every bar mitzvah, like he was doing everything. And I knew I was a DJ. I knew I could spin records and I knew how to play records. But these guys and Jerry Curls, I didn't have a Jerry Curl. That wasn't my thing. It was a Texas thing. He was getting all the jobs. And I wanted to work with him. But if I let my ego get in I'm just sitting in this, oh, man, he know. that's not me. I figured out a way to work with him. So I go to him one day at a party at a youth party and say, hey, I'd love to work for you. What do I need to do to work for you? 
He goes, I can't pay you. I'm like, you don't have to pay. If you, when you get extra records and stuff, just give me the extra records and I want to go where you go. He thought he had a flunky. What he didn't realize is that I was going to know everyone he knew. Then, you know, so I go into all these spots where he's going and I'm like, hi, I'm Tony's apprentice. My name is Will. If Tony can do something for you, I'm here to, can I get your information? What is it that you do, sir? And like, I was just gathering information because information is gay and making sure, but here's the best part. So I would tell Tony, look, if you ever have like double book dates, instead of taking the one that's $1,500 and losing out on the one that's $1,000, give me the one that's $1,000 and you get 25% of that because slow dough is better than no dough and your name is still on it. But my name's in little fine print on it as well. He agreed to it. So I started doing those dates and then this thing called the mix show that didn't exist. He's like, he was the, the main DJ, the radio station, little radio station in the town wanted him to do this lunchtime mix show. And I'm in school. He's like 24 years old, 15, 16 year old kid. So I have to make a decision. Do I sacrifice? And I do air quotes for the sacrifice part for a reason. Do I sacrifice my lunch to go and pull this guy's records, and get him coffee and a sandwich or and answer the phones and do his call logs? Or do I stay in school and play, you know, eat Frito pies and retain my Uno championship belt? I am the greatest Uno player in the history of Uno. Wow, really? Yo soy el gran campeón del mundo de Uno. It's <laughs> not a joke. Very serious. I made a decision. I'm like, I don't believe in sacrifice. If you do anything to improve and enhance your life, it's an attribute, not something that's a sacrifice. You don't take away from it, add to it. So I went and I pulled his records. I got him coffee and, and drinks. And I was in the building because once you're in the building, you're in the building. Sir, you're the operations manager. What exactly do, is it that you do? Can I shadow you for a week? It's a class project. It wasn't, but I want to learn. I want to make myself invaluable in the building. That's the New York hustle game. That's just me. Not all my grizzly from the beginning. That's my daddy's tools. That's my mother instilling in me that it's in you to do the things you say you want to do. So I learned everybody, what everybody does at the station, salespeople, everything. I'm just pulling records and doing the call logs. And one day he gets a call that says he wants to do a show outside of town. He goes, do you want to go with me? I go and ask my father. And I go with Tony. He goes, man, sit down. You're not going nowhere with that grown man. You must be crazy. I'm glad my father was my father because... The next day, Tony didn't show up to the station on time. And our boss said, hey, have you heard from Tony? This is before the days of cell Well, I didn't have a cell phone. I think this was the days where people had the bag with a big block cell phone, right? So th this is how long ago it was back then. Nobody had those. They had pages maybe, but I said, I haven't heard from him. And I was pulling his records to get ready for the show. She goes, look, Tony's not here. I, we don't have anything to replace Tony. I know you DJ with Tony. No scratching, no tricks, play the hits. We find out that Tony got caught trying to sell weed at a kitty party. All the people he knew who he's working for in the city who found out he got busted, didn't want to work with him anymore. And they're like, who can we, oh, remember that kid who was working with him? The guy who took all the information and was following and saying, if Tony does, and, you know, I did the mix show one day, then I did the mix show the next day. And by Monday, it was his youngest in charge, midday master mix with Chilwell Strickland. And then I would go back to my fifth period English class, knowing all my friends listened to me at lunchtime. So in the words of KRS one, I did it once, I did it twice. Now there's steak with the beans and rice. Before I was just a guy eating beans and rice. Now I'm the guy. And it told me I could do this. I just carried that on to university and started a radio show when I got to university. I had gotten a scholarship, earned a scholarship to uh Rice University, the Harvard of the South in Houston, Texas, where I played basketball as a four year letterman there, but 
my freshman year, I became the president of the Black Students Association and also the vice president of the student council, overall student council, to make sure that our voices were amplified on campus. I didn't see the difference in like, uh, I want what everybody else has. So I said something about it. We had a very passive group going there, starting my radio show, and then eventually starting another community radio show, and then having a commercial radio show at the same time, and then starting a video show called The Elbow Room. So I'm in school. I'm on the speech and debate team, forensics team. I'm playing basketball. You know, I'm going to classes at one of the toughest schools in the country. All of our classes are hard. And trying to juggle this in my first, first experience of being an adult. This is me adulting for the first time. And so I was learning that on the fly while still trying to be a kid and still trying to be a student, you know, being an athlete and being visible in this big city and letting people know, yeah, I'm here. You know, that visibility can create envy and jealousy. And when I was younger, I used to pay attention to it because I wanted, you want people to like, but when you realize that not everyone cares about your well-being. Or they don't want you to have what they can't have because they don't want to do the work. They just want the glory. They want all the stuff that you work for. I work. You know, whether it be any that money in the summers with my brothers, I worked. I figured out a way to get that. Whether it was me getting that job with Tony, I worked to get that. And then eventually become the mix show guy. I worked to get that. Nobody gave that to me. I earned that. When I got my scholarship to school, I earned that. Nobody gave that to me. When I got to school and said, I want to do all the, all the things I want to do. I figured out a way to do them, and I did it. Everything I do in this life is step with three basic steps, setup, execution, and follow-through. Where most people fail is the follow-through. You know, going to school there, playing basketball, you know, having these radio shows. I already knew that I want to be a part of this industry, this thing, where, you know, I before I even got to Texas, I was engaged and in love with this thing that I'm married to for the rest of my life, and I can't divorce, called hip-hop culture. I recall being nine before it had a name. Before it was in, it was shrink wrapped in a jewel case at HMV or Best Buy on a shelf somewhere or in a video in a thong on top of a $500,000 car. It didn't have a name. It's just what we did. And I'm walking down the street and I see, you know, I'm eating a push pop with a white t-shirt on it. I, I'm eating this ice cream. And I see these guys in the stoop and it looks like they're about to fight, but they're talking really aggressively. And it sounds like some Dr. Seuss stuff. It's rhyming and they're talking back and forth. And back in the day, when you saw like conflict, people like, like we were Don King or like fight promoter, like fight. I'm screaming fight. And we stand there and we watch these guys and they keep rapping back and forth, which we didn't know was rapping. At the end of it, instead of fighting, they hugged it out and walked in different directions. And I caught the fever right away. I'm like, I want to do that. Whatever that was, I want that in my life. I remember going home and my mother still has this in a little, in a little frame, a little yellowing piece of paper now. My first ever bars, my first ever rhyme. I remember to this day. My mom was cool. I go to school. I'm not a fool. You know the rules. I thought I was the best thing rocking out here. But in that story, I realized that the manifestation of my entire life was in that. I didn't know that then. I know that now. My mom was cool. I was one of the few lucky kids who had two parents in the household in my neighborhood. That did, that was a rarity. But my father, blessed dad, used to always say, if you're going to spend eight hours, somewhere, get something out of it. So school was easy, big. So, you know, for all of that, for triple majoring in university and managerial studies, political science and economics, you know, for getting my, my master's degree in entertainment law, because I didn't want people to be able to talk around me in legalese and me not understand it. Because I knew that once I started my first 
company in my dorm room at Rice University called Urban Art Marketing and Promotion. I needed to know what I was doing. And because I was a Division I, NCAA Division I student athlete, not allowed to work. So I had to move off campus. And I couldn't uh, utilize the benefits that the school gave me. They gave us a stipend to move off campus, but I didn't get my stipend at first. So I had to move off campus immediately when they found out I was running this company. I had been running the company for years, but when they found out, I had to move off campus. And I asked my homegirl to pay my first and last and security deposit on this little park. And I worked and worked and worked and worked. And I was scared because I didn't know what I was doing, or at least I didn't think I did. I'm not seeing anything coming from it. I'm like, you know what? I should just quit. I should go get an oil and gas job and get married at 25 and have kids at 28, 30, and 32. So they're out of the house by the time I'm 50. But like, that's how I was thinking. And then at the end of that first month, one check came. During that month where I was working like that, I ate popcorn every single day. I owe somebody. I'm doing anything to make it seem different. Every once in a while, I'll hustle a CD or something at like Taco Bell or Arby's or something. But for the most part, I was eating popcorn. At the end of that first month, paid my homegirl back, no more popcorn, but I kept one package of popcorn in the cupboard to remind me, you don't do the work, it's back to popcorn. How much was the check? About $1,100. Was that the biggest check you had made with your company that at that time? Just, I just started. You know, that check paid my rent and everything, and I kept working. I'm like, is it because I'm black? Is it because I'm not smart enough? Is it because I don't know? Like, I want to quit. And then at the end of that month, 11 checks came. The work always tells you where you are. Now, how do I sustain that? I sustained it well enough to have 55 employees across the country and five in-house. I had a record label and some friends in the music industry who wanted me to work for them because I'd helped them sign a little group you might have heard of before called the Wu-Tang Clan. There's a song called Wu-Tang Clan Ain't Nothing to Fool With. And at the end of that song, Riz is giving shouts out. Not shout outs. You give the shouts, not the outs. I'm the syntactician too. I can't help it. I'm a nerd. So. He's giving shouts out at the end of the song. And he says, peace to Kelly Wu from the Gavin, Will Strickland, Jason Staten, true, true. That's me. To be a part of something that legendary. He was about to, you know, in November, November 9th, 1993, it'll be 30 years this year from when we first released Enter the Wu-Tang, the 36th Chamber. And to be a part of something that legendary uh, was an amazing thing. And be a part of that. And I took a job at RCA to help with that project once we released it and uh, was still trying out for professional basketball teams and working at the time. Like I wanted to live out all of my dreams. So I tried out for this team in San Antonio called the Spurs and made it to the final cut and played overseas in Caracas, Venezuela and Sao Paulo, Brazil. Came back and started working for a guy who used to be one of my interns at uh, this record label called Uptown. Wow. I didn't know that. And because he uh, raised his hand because he stood up when no one else would in a meeting where our boss, the late Andre Harrell, fired George Harrell, who was the VP of A&R at the time. It wasn't his brother. They're not related. This intern, this kid who was coming up from D.C. every weekend, he's going to school at Howard. When Andre asked, who in here can do this job? Everybody thought they were about to get fired. This kid raised his hand. He went from intern to VP of A&R, all because he believed, because he was already inside. So he went from being an intern on the street team to being our boss. Wow, that's unheard of. It happened, but he kept the lights on the uptown. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Can we share with the people? The world's yeah. greatest intern, Sean Puffy Combs. Yeah, yeah, did he? And, you know, when he got fired because you couldn't have two kings of the jungle, you know, like he, like I said, he was keeping the lights on. He brought in his little country group from North Carolina and swagged them out, turned them into Jodeci. 
And he took this rough around the edges girl who liked to smoke and drink and curse all the time named Mary J. Blige and swagged her out. He kept the lights on at Uptown and he got fired. Mm-hmm. I was, remember the movie? I told you I'm a big movie guy, Jerry Maguire. Oh, yeah. Remember when Jerry got fired? He's like, who wants to go with me? Yep. He got fired. I'm like, I knew what it was. And so we went and we started this little label you might have heard of called Bad Boy Records. So wait, let's just retract for a second. So Diddy, when he was fired, or Puff Daddy, or every name, Sean Puffy Combs, mm-hmm. he said to you, do you want to come with me? We're going to create no, a record saying, label? He just walked. No, he just walked around the office like when he was bouncing. Like, who's, who's come with me? And my boss raised his hand, and I knew where the winning team was. And I went with my boss, and we went. And he's the one who actually paid for me to get a trainer to come and try out for this team, new team in the NBA called the Toronto Raptors in 1995. He paid for my trainer. Sean Puffy Combs mm-hmm. paid for your trainer? hmm to get me in shape so I can go try out. That's incredible. So, you know, working oh. there and telling him that, that I still was trying to live out this little dream of mine, he's like, what do you need? And I told him that I didn't want to really pay for it. Ask somebody, I guess they worked it out, exchanged money, but three days a week, I was working out with this guy. Got me ready. Tried out for the team, didn't make the team, but went overseas and played um, Brest and Marseille in France. Okay, yeah. Finished up in Barcelona, and that was the end of my professional basketball playing career. But to have had that, to still be working in the music industry, you know, I came back and was working um, after I left Bad Boy with the Notorious B.I.G., Blessed Dead, and also Blessed Dead to Craig Mack. A lot of people think those were the first two artists in the label. They were not. Yeah, you were in the nitty gritty of all this stuff when all this stuff went down. At the at the genesis of it all. Let's just go back when you worked for Bad Boy. Mm-hmm. From when to when did you work there? It's like ninety four, ninety five, and that and that. Okay, range. still going to school, still working out, playing basketball. This is like ninety four, ninety five. We put out Craig Mack, Biggie, but where you first saw, like a lot of people didn't know, the first artist, the first group he ever signed. Bad Boy Records was a guy named Jesse West in a group called Third Eye. And if you watch the Dolly My Baby remix video from Supercat, in the booth, they're sitting in the booth and they're rapping. And you hear it's Supercat, Jesse, Jesse West from Third Eye, Diddy, and Big. And if you listen to Diddy's rhyme, it sounds just like Jesse West's rhyme because Jesse West wrote his rhyme. Jesse um. West was the first artist on the label. I think they signed Tony Thompson from uh, High Five out of Waco, Texas. And then he signed Biggie and he signed Craig Mack. But Jesse West is the first artist on Bad Boy Records. And so did you have any interaction with any rival record companies? Like back, you know, back then I don't have that to was say them out loud, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, back then it was, you know, and there are some great stories um about being on the road. I think it was Sacramento. We we're in Sacramento, I think. After leaving LA. And I guess Big says some disparaging words about E-40, who was a Bay Area, Northern California rapper. So we were in L.A. in Southern California, and we came to Sacramento, which is more central Northern California. Some goons uh, met us behind the venue when we were leaving, and they came with the weaponry. And uh, they're like, we got them right here, fool. We got them right here. We can get them. And so I guess 40 and, and Big talk, and uh, he went to van and we're standing there just the guns on us and uh i guess they cleared it up whatever was happening but i'm like we don't get danger paid for this is this worth it so and that wasn't even you know the bad boy death row thing it was just the whole west coast east coast thing it was ridiculous you know and it was fueled by a lot of the stuff that was happening in the media and 
My father, again, I always go back to stuff that he told me and the lessons I learned. He says, you know what's worse than a diss or a slight? A perceived one. So Tupac thought that he was like somebody tried to kill him that was in that group. He just put he connected dots and then all of a sudden it became this thing. And it was coast versus coast. I'm like, really? And then it was perpetuated by our own magazines. You know, the divide and conquer motif has always been a part of how America has dealt with black people in the country. And that was easy, a easy bake method to do that. And what ended up happening was that September 13th, 1996, Tupac Amaru Shakur gets gunned down this Las Vegas strip. Now, Tupac weighed 150 pounds, maybe. He got shot, what, four times? Shit next to Shook, whose head was bigger than a TV. He got a graze on the side of his head. I can go into that conversation. I'm going to chill. No, you should go into that conversation. No, that's too that's too much. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast, a whole nother show altogether. But like, hold hold up. So the car was shooting at him and Sugar didn't get nothing? Just a graze in the side of his head. His head is bigger than Tupac. Okay. I'll leave that be for time. And then on March 9th, nineteen hundred ninety seven, which so happens to be my mother's birthday as well. So it's a bittersweet day outside oh, wow. of Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles during the Soul Train Awards. It was a Sprite Night event that used to be called Sprite Night. It was like the party before the party. Big was gunned down. So, you know, to have gone through that turbulent period and trying to play basketball, still working in the music industry, thinking about what my next steps were. So I was working at Epic Records. After I left RCA, working for Wu-Tang, other label, once we assigned all these guys to individual labels instead of keeping them all at loud, shout out to Steve Rifkin. They wanted me to help with the Ghostface project over at Epic Records. Epic Records offered me a ridiculous contract. Okay. I left RCA Records because they offered me a ridiculous contract. Artists I had at RCA were like Dave Matthews Band, Garth Brooks, you know, um, Wu Tang, Shantae Savage, stuff like that. And then going on to, to Epic groups like, uh, Sweetback and MC8, of course, Ghostface Killer, Ben Folds Five, Celine Dion. Uh, Jamiroquai, Helen Fuller Sade, I do. You might know her better as Sade. Sade, yes. And yep. this other dude, nice tiny little artist we were working with called Michael Jackson. You might right. have heard of him. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Weren't you working with another another one that a lot of people know now, like Kanye West? Oh yes, that was that was hilarious. The, so how did you know about the Kanye West thing? I do my research, my friend. Clearly, no. Um, it's funny because when I was at Epic Records, wow. Um, and it all, it was all because of Jamiroquai. So we were tasked in the urban music department. I hated that term, always had. They just wanted to say black. So in the black music department at Epic Records, we were tasked with bringing over and helping to break this British artist by the name of Jason Key, who was in a group called Jamiroquai, one of my favorite groups. And they're saying, Oh, well, he's the next TV wonder. I'm like, Pump the brakes. Stop. Just stop. Steve's a whole nother level. Like, you don't, don't disrespect the, the legacy of Steve Lynn, you know, uh, Morris. Uh, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And so I had to figure out a way to break Jamiroquai. Like, how can we put this in a mix show? So I made a mix show contest because I had access to the first Sony PlayStations. I need to tell them this story because I have a meeting with Sony PlayStation soon. All right. Um, I need to tell them this Jamiroquai story. Thank you for sparking that. Welcome. And um, 
I could give those, like I was giving away like party favors. I could just go on my computer and be like, I need 40 PlayStation. They would bring it up to my office like that. Cause we worked in the same building. So, um, I'm like, we'll do a mix show contest with all the mix show DJs across the country. Whoever plays it, they'll get, a, you know, um, whoever does a remix for this song, which Jason would never approve, but we didn't care. We just want the visibility. So you get the remix, you get 5,000 copies of that remix with your name on it. You got $5,000. Plus we gave you PlayStation, a $500 gift, gift certificate to Adidas, which is funny. It was Adidas. Kid you not. I kid you not. So I remember the winner of the contest was my man, Ferris Thomas from WGCI in Chicago. I call him and say, Ferris, you won, blah, blah. Goes, man, I got to admit to you, uh, I didn't do the remix. You know, Tony uh, or, you know, Dion he goes, yeah, no ID. Who was like at the time, the producer who was uh, producing, com- uh, not com- uh, common, who's com- producing commons work in Chicago. He said uh, he has this protege by the name of Kanye West who did this remix. And so I'm like, okay, well, we'll get him a ticket. We'll bring you guys to New York, whatever. We'll figure out what we're going to do. So in the meeting, this Kanye, um, Tony came. So no ID was there. Ferris was there. And um, Vivian Scott Shue, I love her. She's the first A&R to bring reggae from a mainstream standpoint to America. I'm not talking about Bob Marley. Like, Bob Marley is a whole other thing. I'm talking about, like, for commercial radio to accept that. Like, Bob Marley was accepted everywhere. But, like, Patra and Shaba Ranks, she was the one who signed that. Vivian Scott Shue will always get stats from me. My man Jeff Sledge, who I think he's managing Missy Elliott right now. He was the A&R there. Like, it, we were all in this room with our boss. Guy named Ron Sweeney, who used to be Easy E's lawyer, <laughs> Pence's lawyer, Babyface's lawyer, Luther Vandross's lawyer. It's a total conflict of interest. And I, I don't know how I left Babyface and Luther Vandross off my list of people I worked with at Epic, but that's all another conversation. Respect, dude. He was in the meeting and we're sitting there and like Kanye was like, I want to rap. He couldn't rap. He couldn't rap a Christmas gift for me back then, for sure. We were like, Yo, we should have just an in-house producer. That's how Puffy did with Third Eye and everything else. He had the Hitman. We're like, we should have in-house produce- producers like Motown had. It's the model we want to build it here in the Black Music Division. Let's do something like that. Ron Sweeney didn't want to do it. So we never signed Kanye. Maybe it's better that way? I don't know. We Back then, no, it wasn't. Back you, then. You, think that's longevity. All I'm about. That's all. No, no. Longevity, his music lasts forever. The publishing lasts forever. I know. I'm just saying. It would have been a good idea. It would have been a good look for me, but we couldn't sign him, so we didn't. We had a chance to sign Jay-Z as well. We didn't sign him. I remember having that meeting with Damon and Jay back in the day, and Damon goes, should we sign here? He just kept it simple. I said, I'm going to give you the PC answer, and I'm going to give you the real answer. PC answers, of course, sign here. You know what I've done. Wu-Tang, blah, blah, you know, all that stuff. The real answer is, go with Def Jam, though. Mm. That's the boot. That's the label. That's the, like, they were offering about as much as we were offering them. And the fact that there was a huge distribution angle, like I think Def Jam was just getting with Island, it's now Universal. So, um, you know, from a distribution standpoint, it's still Sony, it's still the machine. Like there's a huge machine, but it was hard. It was, I would have to fight so much just to get the Ghostface stuff off the ground. I'm like, I don't know if they'll even understand. See, like Jay-Z had what people then considered a marginal hit record, with reasonable doubt. It wasn't Wu-Tang, and it came out three years later. Like, Reasonable Doubt came out in 96. But what they were doing with, with I think it was Brian Turner and those guys at Priority, like before that, or even Patrick Moxie, 
when they were on payday records. And Patrick Moxie came on a conference call with us when Jay-Z put out In My Lifetime. That was the meaning. Was, it came out on another label before that. The song that Jay-Z did back, back when he started slowing down his flow. And uh, Patrick Moxie said to us on a conference call that Jay-Z couldn't handle another sequel, much less now. And so they dropped him. This is a true story. I didn't know they dropped him. Patrick Moxie, Payday Records. Look it up. Jay-Z. You worked with Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Do you have any fun stories? I love her. You must I mean, have heard she... some stories about I Mary didn't... throwing the phone at me in Denver. Um, this is back when she was like really like drinking and having a hard time with Casey Haley from Jodeci. I guess they were dealing with each other. And uh, I mean, that... Maybe just her throwing the phone at me one time when I tried to open her door so we could go out and do radio. And she's like, she wants to sleep in. I'm like, yo, we got to walk these dogs, Mary. Ripped the phone and threw it at me. It wasn't a cell phone. It was like the actual phone in the hotel room. But, you know, she was, she, for the most part, she was cool. Like some of the worst experiences I've had. I've been on the road with like SWV when I was at RCA. I forgot about SWV. I'm talking about Shante Savage. I had SWV. I remember almost getting fired from uptown because my boss had the like reel like straight from the, it was a two inch reel from the studio of mary j's Blige's album what's the 411 he allowed me to play what's the song because it was the only rap song in the album with grand poobah maxwell from brand newbie on it yeah yeah so we took it up to the station we played it on my station so i got to play it first i was happy and then we took it to a, a radio station commercial radio station you said match 102 and Mel, my bo- old boss, he, work- he works at Cash or uh, Young Money right now. So he works with Lil Wayne and Baby and all those guys. Cash Money, right? Shout out to my man, Mel Smith, who is mentor and brother. To- Mel left his reel, the radio station. I remember all the laws we broke going back to the station to go and get it before they reported it because he was, Andre was going to kill him if they yeah. had it before it was, it was done. It wasn't even done yet. The fact that he let me play it was something. And he got yeah. he kind of got mad, but he's like, "It's a little commercial or college radio station at fifty thousand watts." Exactly. My signal went three hours around, like this, like to Louisiana and Northern Tech. Like it went everywhere. So, that is the worst place to forget something like of that caliber. That's like well, giving your happened. life's work away. It happened, but they didn't. They recorded. They, they didn't know where it was. No went right back to it. But I think that those are some of that you know cool Mary stories I could tell. Right now. You are known to be a legacy maker. So after you left Epic, where did you go from there? And how did you end up in 1997 creating the first online concert? What's that oh, all yeah. about? February 18th, 1997. Um, we had to figure out a way to reintegrate sales on both albums. When I first got there, they'd already spent almost a million dollars of his budget. Um, they put out three singles and three videos that had no real plan. They just thought it's Wu Tang. Anybody will buy it. You still have to have a plan. Like I said, the work is always going to be about the work. So they give me this really nice contract and I like money, fan of money. I put it like this. I'm not one to really talk money like this, but like my traveling expense account, my trick off, go buy red alerts, chicken, whatever. Right. My first year. My traveling expense account was 175000 U.S. That wasn't my salary. That was just my traveling expense account. Just to put it like in, yeah. in perspective. So you know what my salary, my salary is kind of nice. I had negotiated this great contract. I should have quit. 
when they told me reinvigorate sales on the album. We're not going to give you any of the tools you need to reinvigorate. It's oh. not another single, not another video. Figure it out. And I happen to be seeing, remember the group Corn? Oh, yeah. The rock group called Corn. Oh, right? I know Corn. I love them. So they were walking in the building, I guess. And if I'm not mistaken, Corn, I just remember looking like they were walking through on our floor. And, and, and I'm like, where are you guys going? You shooting a video up here? Like, no, we're doing an interview in the studio. And I was curious about what they were doing. Like, what's this interview for? And they said, come and check it out. So they had, it was a two camera shoot. They had a table set up with people on computers, table set up with people on phones. It looked like a telethon. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Are you shooting a video? Like, so he's sitting there and this kid is interviewing them and both of the guys have guitars out. And he says, Hey, I had this idea. I was eating some cocoa puffs and I called blah, blah. I want to play this riff. And if you guys like it, let us know. Who are they talking? We take the internet for granted. It came out in 1994 for public consumption. So we hadn't had saturation in Canada or the United States by 96 to that degree. Only a few people had it. So I'm like, I don't know who they're talking but Europe, Europe was way ahead of us. So, you know, like Jurgen from Copenhagen says, hey, we saw you the last time you got, came here. You played this song. They were doing live by request song on this video and I'm like, how is this going out? And there was no video. They were shooting it for, they were capturing it for later. It was all audio. There was no, like, we didn't have this back then. Yeah. But you could do audio. So it was like some audio streaming. Like, how is this working? And that's what told me. That's how I'm going to reinvigorate the app. I told my boss, we're going to use the internet to do it. This thing that they didn't use. They still use inner office memo. They didn't want yeah. to use the internet. My boss is on the road with the OJ, vendors and stuff. Except they didn't get the internet. I still didn't get it yet. I just figured I could type, push this button, and the <laughs> letter will end. You, it sounds crazy to say in 2023. That's where it was. Almost 40 years ago. Like it was just a whole another thing. So we're here and I asked for a quarter million dollars from Sony and permission from the Sony. Like I had to go through Sony legal, go to Barcelona to get all this legal stuff done. Like it was ridiculous to get a temporary website for Ghostface. We had three or four months of lead time. What did Music conferences and stuff. And an album that is stalled at about 390,000 units sold. No video, no single cover. We did this con concert two and a half months later. We found out that it had gone, it was certified gold in the United States, eventually going platinum and gold or platinum in seven different international territories. The only thing they can point to is what I did with Ghostface at 88hiphop.com, which was the first internet radio show for hip hop culture back in the day. You look up 88hiphop.com. It was a yeah. huge thing. And I invited like four of the top pacemakers in the industry to be there. So when you saw it, we wanted the essence of going in the park, the essence of hip hop culture. So after they did the interview in the studio, they had to work, walk through this crowd. You see Wyclef, Lauren Hill, Method Man. You see all these people there. LL, you see all these people. They get up on a box, Ghost, um, Raekwon, and Capadonna for 45 minutes. They rock. And two and a half months later, because of that show, this is what happens around it. The internet was here to stay, and I still didn't understand how it worked. My bonus check that year was Banu. No apology. I love it. So this is what, uh, again, it's in our DNA to take nothing and turn it into something. Yes. I could have quit the minute they told me reinvigorate sales on this album. I figured out how to do it. I used something else as inspiration to do that. And I'm not, again, I'm not humble bragging or trying to break my arm to pat myself back. These, that's what happened. 
but you know, that happened from what I was the, the foundation that was born in me by my parents. Not only did you create history, but this is a legacy that's now it's an everyday part of culture. Hip hop culture started because Cindy Campbell wanted school clothes. And she said, Hurt, go out and, 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 you know, we were going to do it in the park at first. We're doing it in the uh, family room in our building at 1520 Cedric Avenue, Cedar and Cedric and Cedar in the Bronx. And this thing on August 11th, 1973, that we now know as hip hop culture. It wasn't called hip hop culture back then. Right? Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's always an organic situation that makes things happen. And I just wanted to make sure I could feed my son and live through my passion. Like, I love music. I love this. I love you. You are an incredible human being. Uh, I'm humbled by the words, but again, this is just, it's just a part of my journey. And, um, like, I wasn't setting out to be famous or rich or anything. I just want to do what I love. That's part of the reason why my nomenclature and come from New York, you always have Wall Street is on the court. You know, I'm, I'm, my initials are WS on the court. I give you the business all day, every day. So I am the entrepreneurionaire because I'm not necessarily rich because of money, but it's about the people. I keep my circumference, the energy I keep around. Yeah. That keeps me rich. And so that's why I am the entrepreneurionaire. Thank you all so right. much. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Brandy, I'm none, cause Brandy is fun. Brandy, oh Brandy, with you I feel like the one. Without Brandy, I'm none, cause Brandy is fun. Brandy, oh Brandy, with you I feel like the one. Oh Brandy, yeah. With you I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better Sipping on this liquor just to feel better I see no purpose but this mix got me feeling greater Spitting money on your brandy cause you're here for me To celebrate, to elevate, you've been there for me You pull out sometimes the good or the worst of me Learn a lot about yourself, now you're real to me You taste different when I'm out on Saturday nights Helping me with cause you really know what they like Brandy, you've been there for me Brandy, you take care of me With you, I'm moving carefully And you take care of this misery huh. Without Brandy, I'm numb Cause Brandy is fun Brandy, oh Brandy With you, I feel like the one Without Brandy, I'm numb Cause Brandy is fun Brandy, oh Brandy I'm feeling better Oh, Brandy, yeah Yeah, with you I'm feeling better Now it's time for me to understand this lifestyle You toxic for myself and my future bloodline Tired of these nights asking God who am I Is this music that I make that I can put on standby But Brandy, you have been there for me Brandy, you take care of me With you I'm moving carefully and you take care of this misery huh. Without Brandy, I'm 
I'm numb Cause Brandy is fun Brandy, oh Brandy With you I feel like the one Without Brandy, I'm none Cause Brandy is fun Brandy, oh Brandy With you I feel like the one That was Montreal hip-hop and R&B singer Jeffrey with the song Brandy. Jeffrey is this week's artist spotlight. Jeffrey's inspirations are J. Cole, Jay-Z, and Mac Miller. Jeffrey's music is described as unique, distinguished, and pure. And on Jeffrey's singles and EPs, you will see butterflies, which represent growth and elevation, similar to a butterfly stages in your life. That is really awesome, Jeffrey. I love that. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter as Jeffrey's World One. If you are a Black Canadian artist and you want your music heard, send us two of your radio edited songs along with your bio, photo, and your social handles. Make sure your music is broadcast quality and there's no swearing. And send us your music to blackexposed at bell.net and you could be on Black Exposed as the next artist spotlight. I'm here at Passion for Fashion with the wonderful Brenda Halloran. Brenda, you were the mayor of Waterloo. Yes, I was for eight years, from 2006 to 2014. Tell us what got you involved in this event. We're at, at our 10th year. I think this is probably my fifth year as the MC for this event. And it's so important because we raise funds for the YW uh, Family Relocation Services Organization to help women and children when they leave the shelter and get set up again. Brenda, I have heard such wonderful things of, of you as mayor. What was the most exciting thing that, that you helped change in the Waterloo region during your tenure? There's so many things, but one of the most exciting things that I ever got to experience was greeting the Queen when she came to Waterloo and, and living through Blackberry Rim, and we did a lot of good things. I'm sitting here with Mary Henry and Thorn, Vice Chair of OTF. She's also an adjudicator for Tribunals Ontario. Mary, I hear that you are part of this wonderful evening and event. So this event helps women who are leaving shelters and domestic abuse situations and a wonderful group of women help relocate them to new homes, new places, and a new start. And I'm so happy to be part of this committee. I'm here with Nancy Cable, chair of Passion Fashion. What made you get into this? I reached out to Nancy from La Creme and between Nancy and Brittany, her daughter, Trisha Cable, my daughter and I, in two months, we planned the first Passion for Fashion at, um, at Benjamin's in St. Jacob's. I am here at the Rise Up YW Breakfast with Jennifer Brayton, the CEO. Hi, thank you, Sandra. Uh, it's nice to be here today. So this breakfast is phenomenal. Look at all the wonderful people that are here this morning. This is ongoing, correct? This is the first in a series of fundraising events the YW is hosting. Uh, it's a series called the Rise Up Breakfast. And we're hoping to bring the community together to talk about stories of resilience. So I encourage you to follow us on social media at YWKW um, and get your tickets and stay tuned. All vibes on go. All vibes, all vibes on go. All vibes on go. All vibes, all vibes on go. More drinks on us. More drinks, more loud on us. More drinks on us. More drinks, more loud on us. We 
What do you want? Show me when I never see before. Flow sweet like your love rice, enjoyment galore. Bury us for ground, they not know say we manure. Small boy of yesterday, see us immature. Gone the two sharp guy, be like now we sky high. Name one hustle where we never even don't try. Baba God, day so enough difficult. We go fly high, so high, can't oh, yeah, calm down. Calm down. One day, one day we go run town. Less in the city, so we lock down. If you feeling this, make you no frown, no frown. Calm down, calm down. One one day we go run town. Less in the city, so we lock down. If you feeling this, make you no frown, no frown. All vibes on go, all vibes, all vibes on go, all vibes on go, all vibes, all vibes on go. More drinks on no. Living life like a movie, some terrible scenes Hedonistic, narcissistic, rhetoric scenes Guess you can't put new wine into old white skins But you can give your old records some cool new spins And I pray my new records get some real good streams Music be so viral and so funny like memes Either way, rookie gotta get his next big meal We be dropping and popping, locking, we never stopping Writing rhymes to grinding, in the studio recording Never darling, we coming, ain't no game, no responding Telling me, yeah, yeah it's my confidence Push it to the limit Me no free, no resistance Give them the new vibe It's a renaissance Tell me Am I even making any sense? So just calm down Calm down One day, one day We go run town In less than the city So we lock down If you're feeling this Make you no frown, no frown All vibes on God All vibes, all vibes on God All vibes on God All vibes, all vibes on God That's it for tonight's Black Exposed. What a loaded show. Thanks to NBA star and Bad Boy Records exec, Will Strickland. Stay tuned next week for part two of his interview as we dish more about artists like Michael Jackson and what he really liked to work with. That's going to blow your mind away. And we talk full court 21 worldwide. It's a 35 city basketball tournament led by the who's who in basketball. And we'll let you know how you can get involved. I'm also reminding you that tickets for the Mel Brown Festival, May 26th to 28th, are now available. Now, tickets are free, but you still have to register your tickets on eventbrite.ca. If you want more information, you can go to melbrownfestival.ca. Again, tickets are free, and the lineup is on melbrownfestival.ca, and we'll dive more into that as the weeks come up. But the tickets are going fast. Again, the event is free, but you just don't want to miss it. So, the weather is awesome outside. It's going to be awesome all week, so spark up your barbecues and invite me over. Just kidding. But stay tuned for some fun summer contests and promotions Black Exposed is working on, and we might just pop up in your backyard with a musician. But you got to provide the barbecue, because that's how we do. Stay blessed, everyone. I'm Sandra Tyler, and this is Black Exposed on 98.5 CKWR. To be a black Canadian is to be stuck between worlds. Not Canadian enough for the Canadians, but not cultured enough for our parents' countries. To be a black Canadian that has been here for multiple generations is to be unacknowledged and all but forgotten. To be a black Canadian is to be welcomed with one hand and oppressed by the other. It is to be muted. It is to be sold on the story of inclusion while being denied of your own experiences. 
To be a black Canadian is to be the younger sibling of black America. They are the more popular child and always get the attention. Even when we go through similar things, it doesn't seem like anybody cares when they happen to us. It is to have your contributions towards building this country erased. It is to have your stories go untold. It is to have your neighborhoods be gentrified or demolished.